Assalamualaikum everyone. Welcome to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host Umar Osman. Today's podcast is a recording of a talk that I gave entitled Ramadan in the Busy Life. Basically, it's Ramadan prep uh, for working professionals, busy people, particularly in the summertime when the days are a lot longer and you don't have as much time in the evenings to work with. If you enjoy this episode, please make sure to share it, subscribe to the podcast. All the links will be in the show notes. And with that, let's get right to it. So the last few Ramadans, every time I talk to any of my friends, everyone's kind of got the same goals, and it's something like this. This Ramadan, I'm going to memorize one juz of Qur'an. I'm going to read the whole Qur'anic translation cover to cover. I'm going to recite it twice. I'm going to pray Fajr and Isha in the Masjid every night. I'm not going to miss any rakat of Taraweeh. I'm going to follow these five YouTube series with daily videos. I'm going to listen to podcasts at 2x speed on my way to work every day. I'm going to give up carbs. I'm going to go on a keto diet. I'm going to give up Netflix. I'm going to deactivate Facebook. And also, we're going to host a couple of iftar parties at our house. And also, I'm going to go out with my friends. And we're going to go mushroom hopping. And the last time, I'm going to stay up all night. And I'm going to do it the golf one weekend. And that's before you even get to family commitments, household chores on a daily basis and being alert and productive at your actual full-time job. And so everyone goes in with this whole laundry list of things that they're going to do, and by about day three, everyone's like, yeah, I wake up for suhoor and fajr, then I sleep for 30 minutes, and then I go to work, then I go to my car at my lunch break and I take a nap, then I go to work again, then I come home, then I go to sleep, I wake up, I eat iftar, I force myself to go to the masjid, I come home and I sleep again. And I'm basically in survival mode. And so that cycle kind of keeps on continuing. You guys hear okay? All right. And so this kind of cycle, it just keeps continuing because there's a lot to do. There's a lot that we want to do. But we eventually, eventually something's got to give. Something's got to give. And so we go into that survival mode where like, I'm just basically making ends meet in Ramadan. As long as I'm fasting, I'm okay. I might be skipping suhoor. I might be behind on my chronic recitation. I've completely gave up the idea of memorizing one juz. I'm eating fried samosas every night. Like it just, it all goes out the window. And so the question then becomes, okay, well, what do we do differently? What's the actual strategy that we're supposed to have? And if we look and we understand what is the actual purpose of Ramadan? That you have a problem and there is a remedy that's prescribed for you. That remedy is fasting. And the end outcome is taqwa. It's consciousness and awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you go back to that ultimate basic, it actually alleviates a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. Because the goal of Ramadan is not hitting all those 25 different targets that I had, but it's cultivating a better relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the basic level. That's all that it ultimately comes down to. So if I can manage to do that, then I'm successful. Okay, well now how do I do that? What's the like, tactic? What's the strategy? What am I supposed to do? And the answer to that is that it's something that is easy to understand, 
It is extremely boring. It's difficult to execute. And it's cliche and cheesy enough to put on a sunset and share it on Instagram. It is to become extraordinary, you have to master the ordinary. Or master the ordinary to become extraordinary. Everything that you need to know to have like the most successful Ramadan ever, you already learned in Sunday school. It's the basics that we all know. Have you ever seen that poster, like everything I needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten? Right, play nice, share your toys, be respectful, those kind of things. It's that same principle. If you talk to a dentist and you say, what's the secret to oral hygiene? Brush your teeth and floss your teeth and do it every day, twice a day. There's no secrets, there's no shortcuts, there's no magic bullet. It's you just have to do the basics and do them every day. And then you'll be successful. How do you keep a car running for a really long time? You maintain it well, you get your oil changed on time, you rotate your tires. It's all the boring stuff that's in the manual that you know that you're supposed to do, but you don't end up doing it, but that's what keeps your car running for a long time. If you look at sports, it's a lot of the same thing. When you, when you get to things like the playoffs and championship games, and they're like, well, what was the difference? And it's very rarely some kind of like, you know, crazy strategic maneuver, oh, they pulled out this trick play or this or that, it's no. Someone just shot better. Someone just hustled harder. Someone grabbed more rebounds. Like, it's the very, very basic elements of the game that someone just did better than somebody else. In baseball, there's a statistic called your batting average, right? So the number of times you go to, you go to bat, how often do you actually hit the ball? And so an average baseball player bats 250, which means that one out of every four times they go to the plate, they get a hit. That's an average player. A superstar, now when I say superstar, I mean you got your average baseball player, now you have the superstar that makes tens of millions of more dollars, will probably become a Hall of Famer, gets multi-million dollar endorsement deals, gets A-lister status, gets put in TV commercials, gets this exponential level of success over the average person. They'll bat about 350, which means that over the course of a 162-game season, with the number of games they play and the number of times they go to bat, the superstar that got the 10x return hit the ball maybe once or twice a week more than the average player. They didn't do anything crazy. They didn't do anything special. There was nothing magical that they did that other people can't do. They executed on the basics better than everybody else. And so for us, it's, it's a profound reminder because when we look at the Hadith of Jibril, for example, we know that that's the same case, that Islam is defined as the five pillars. Your shahada, your prayer, your fasting, your hajj, your zakat. And then ihsan, the next level, the exponential returns, is doing those things better. It's you're worshipping, but now you're worshipping as if Allah sees you even though you don't see Him. It's executing on those same basics, but at a much higher level than everybody else. And so to succeed, it really comes down to knowing I have to make sure that I nail those basics. Well, what are the basics? It's making sure that I'm praying all five of my prayers on time. Right? There's a tendency sometimes toward the end of the month where Fajr gets kind of sketchy. We start skipping out on suhoor a little bit. Even though we know that of you know, part of the fasting, one of the things that has the most blessing is that morning meal. It's praying in congregation, Fajr, Isha, Zuhr if you can at work. It's 
having a daily relationship with Quran, and it's making lots and lots of dua, supplicating to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's avoiding backbiting, it's avoiding cursing, it's av you know, avoiding the things that we all know that we should avoid. It's just those basics. And, and it, it sounds like, well, that's what we talk about every single time. But if we really look back and assess like our last five Ramadans or 10 Ramadans, we all know that we had room for improvement in all of those things. So it's, don't get too caught up in finding like the novel thing or the new thing or like which Quran app on my phone I'm gonna use and all this stuff. It's like, no, keep it very simple, but execute on those things at a very high level. Now that's one part of it. Another part of it, and this is more along the lines of time management, is to be an extremist with your priorities. Be an extremist with your priorities. So here's what that means. When you're at work, if you have a full-time job or a part-time job, whatever the case may be, you have in Amana, you have actually a trust and a responsibility, religiously speaking, to fulfill the agreement that you have at work. And so, if you're showing up to work on two hours of sleep or three hours of sleep and now you're brain dead and you're not productive and you're not present and you're falling behind on your obligations and deliverables, that's a problem. Even though maybe you were up all night worshiping and doing all these things that are noble and good and inshallah rewarding, but fulfilling your responsibilities is also an obligation. And so we have to understand what our actual priorities are. And so during the week, if I have a demanding job and there's certain expectations, I have to be very extreme with those priorities. And so if that means that I might have to pray Ishan congregation and go home so I get enough sleep, I might have to do that. I might have to maybe wake up for suhoor and pray Turaqat of Tahajjud on my own so that I get that extra reward and that extra blessing of Ramadan. But I might not be able to stay and pray 20 rakat. And that might just be my situation. And that's also part of it, right? It's understanding what your situation is because not everyone has the same responsibilities and not everyone has the same commitments. But the commitments and responsibilities that you are given, you have to fulfill. So my Ramadan when I was in college, as a college student with a part-time job, was drastically different than Ramadan as a working professional with a family because obligations, responsibilities, and commitments are drastically different. And that situation, again, it may change a few years from now. And my Ramadan, by the way, now in summertime might look drastically different than Ramadan in wintertime when the days are shorter. So it's being realistic and understanding the situation that you have, the commitments that you have. Now, just as you go, let's say you go hard with work and all those things during the week, you can now also flip it and say, well, I'm not being able to keep up with my ibadah and my extra worship and the extra things that I want to do for my spirituality like I wanted. Well, now when the weekend comes along, I can flip that switch and go to the opposite. And now, instead of relaxing and taking Saturday off, now maybe I make up ground. And so maybe on the weekends, if I wasn't able to read, let's say, one Joseph Quran every day during the week, and I was only reading two or three pages, now maybe on the weekend, I'm reading three or four Joseph, and I'm making up for that time. So that on the aggregate over the entire month, I'm still accomplishing more of my goals but I'm doing it in a more balanced way, where I'm still fulfilling the obligations that I have. Now, another thing that I'll recommend, and Sheikh Yasser was talking about the virtue of the last 10 nights, and this is something that becomes very challenging because the last 10 nights, the reward is something that we don't want to miss out on. And so some people are able to 
go all out in the last 10 nights and still maintain and uphold their commitments at work and things like that. But some people aren't. And so what I would recommend is that if you're wanting to take advantage of the last 10 nights in that manner, plan ahead. And this is something that people don't want to make the sacrifice to do this sometimes, but this is what I would highly encourage, is take paid time off from work. Utilize that vacation time. You know, part of the spirit of Ramadan, right, going back to the basics, is sacrifice. It's what are we giving up for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if I'm willing to give up two or three or five or ten vacation days in order to focus and really maximize that time of Ramadan, then maybe inshallah I get that much more reward and that much more multiplied, you know, benefit and barakah and all of these things than I may have otherwise. Because I'm showing that effort and that initiative and that sacrifice of giving up what I love for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's one way that you, can, that you can do that. Another thing, and this is now getting a little bit more tactical on a day-to-day basis, is find pockets of time to maximize. So if I have a demanding day-to-day life, whether that's with the kids, or maybe I'm homeschooling my kids, maybe it's at work, you know, whatever, everyone, again, everyone's situation is different, but everyone has demands on their time and things that they have to do. And so I might not have the luxury of just waking up whenever I want and working the hours that I want and spending four or five hours a day, let's say, doing ibadah or focusing on my spirituality or all of these different things. But I can find pockets of time to maximize. And so my commute to work is something that I can take advantage of. My lunch break where I'm no longer eating a meal is something I can take advantage of. I can go pray dhuhr at the masjid now in that one hour lunch break and get that reward of again, taking care of those basics, but those basics have the most reward. That I can go and I can pray dhuhr in jama'ah, in congregation, at the masjid during the day because now I don't have to eat. So I can take advantage of that time. The most important though is making sure that you find time throughout the day and this is something that you can do no matter what your responsibilities or commitments is finding time to just make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is, again, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's so basic, it's so quote-unquote cliche, it's something that we hear so often, and it just doesn't register in our head as to how important it is. Even though the Prophet said that, uh, subhanAllah wa bihamdi, subhanAllah these are two phrases that are light on the tongue and heavy on the scales. They're heavy on the scales of the Day of Judgment. And the more that a person can train themselves to keep their tongue wet with the remembrance of Allah, that goes back to that ultimate goal. When the goal of Ramadan is taqwa, cultivating that awareness and consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more that someone makes dhikr of Allah, the more that they're demonstrating that I'm thinking about Allah. I'm concerned about my relationship with Allah. So they're making, sending extra salawat on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They're saying, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah, throughout the course of the day. And the more that you do that, the more that it, obviously there's the barakah and the blessings for that, but it's also that you start finding more and more time to do that. And so now when I'm walking up and down the stairs, or I'm you know, going, down, going out to my car, going out to the parking lot, I'm waiting in the line at the grocery store. Now instead of taking out my phone and scrolling through social media, I'm training myself, I need to stop, and I just need to have that time to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And hand in hand with this is dua. Hand in hand with this is dua. Because dua is the essence of worship. Dua is the core essence of worship. And we know that in Ramadan, one of the major benefits and the major blessings of Ramadan is that the, the dua of the fasting person is accepted. And so we should be finding more and more time throughout our day to sit and to make dua. One of the mistakes that we make is that we'll sit and we'll make this, okay, I'm going to be productive, I'm going to be professional, I'm going to make a dua list. So we sit down, we take out our phone, and we type up this dua list of like 45 different things. And they're all important, they're all worthwhile, they're all excellent. But here's what happens. Getting through that dua list with a clear head and attentive heart takes like 30 minutes. And so now every time I sit down and think I need to make dua, my mind automatically says, well, that's 30 minutes. Let me do something else right now. I don't have time. I need to focus on something else. And so it starts to feel overwhelming. I want to make dua, but I got, I got too much stuff here, right? So one way to counteract that is, one, make a shorter dua list, right? That's like the life hack way. Make a list of like five or six really important things and focus on those. But the other is that throughout the day, you find, again, find a few minutes of time here and there. Just, and, if, and if you really want to be geeky about it, like set a timer for three minutes. Set a timer for two minutes. And say, this is dua time where I'm not going to focus on anything else. And it's, it's very much a quality over quantity situation. That the dua that I'm making, if it's heartfelt, if it's attentive, then it goes a lot further. And, if I, and again, and this is one of the ways to make up ground. You know, there, there's the famous story that some, that some of the companions came to the Prophet wasallam and they said, Ya Rasulullah, these other companions that they're rich, like they've purchased Jannah, what can we do? And he said that you make it up with dhikr, you make it up with remembrance of Allah. And they came and they said, well now they're doing that too, so now, now we're behind again. He said that that's just virtue that some people have over others. Don't get too caught up in comparing your situation to somebody else. And this is actually one of the traps of social media in Ramadan is that every time you get on, it looks like everyone else is having a much better Ramadan than you are, right? It's like you get on, it's like everyone's got their houses decorated like this amazing Pinterest, you know, like Ramadan calendar with all these little activities. And it's kind of like, where do these people get the time, right? You might not have the time. It's okay. Not everyone can have like a Pinterest Instagram worthy Ramadan. It's okay. But know your situation and know how you can make up ground. And the, one of the easiest ways of making up ground is just finding pockets of time. One minute, two minutes, five minutes. Just sit, remember Allah, make dua, ask Allah for forgiveness. You know, the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, one of the, actually it's a very interesting narration because Aisha asked the Prophet ﷺ, what's the best deed someone can do? Now who's asking? It's Aisha who is a scholar, a worshiper, right? The, the highest status. So you would think that if someone like her is asking, what's the best thing I can do? The answer should be, well, instead of Surah Baqarah and Tahajjud, you should read Surah Baqarah and Surah Ali Imran and Tahajjud, right? Like that would be an answer for the caliber of that person. You understand what I'm saying? But he answered her by saying that the best deed is that which is small but consistent. That for even someone of that caliber and that status, that even for her, the answer of the, what the best deed that I can do is, is that which is small but consistent. And so 
yes, we go into Ramadan with all these goals of all these different things that I'm going to do and, you know, my new diet and my new meal plan, my workout plan and this much Quran and all that stuff. And then it becomes disheartening when four days in we're forced to give up on those goals. And you, you lose motivation. And, you, and then no matter what you do the rest of the month, you feel like I'm falling short. I'm not living up to the potential that I know I should be doing. But the real way of looking at it, look, we, you know, we can't treat Ramadan like a 30-day juice cleanse. It's, it's not like a boot camp to just all of a sudden you fix all the problems in your life. But it's 30 days to raise your baseline level of practice. It's 30 days to raise your baseline level so that when you exit Ramadan, you're at least a little bit better than before you came in. You know, every Friday, the goal is that after you walk out of the khutbah, that you're, it's incremental progress. You improve a little bit, and then every week that adds up after the course of a year or two years, those incremental changes, they add up to something. And they add up to, you know, progress, tangible progress that you can see. Ramadan is kind of similar. It's not going to be, in, hopefully it's more than incremental. But again, you want to judge your baseline before you came into your baseline going out. And so if going into Ramadan, find, find at least one thing to fix. Find at least one thing to improve on. You know, maybe if I'm not praying my sunnah prayers, I really focus on making my sunnah prayers a habit. If I haven't had a daily relationship with the Quran going into Ramadan, then, yeah, maybe in Ramadan I do, I do read five pages or 20 pages or 40 pages or whatever is within my capacity, but I do it with the intent that once Ramadan is over, I still at least maintain one page a day or a half page a day. So that, inshallah, when the next Ramadan rolls around, then I can build on that and I can, I can increase on that. But it's, we want to be able to give ourselves progress too for our own motivation. Because if we set really, really high goals and then within a week we see that we're off, off track, it can become demoralizing. And it can become easy to give up, and that's when you go into survival mode. That I just, you know, I just need to get Ramadan over with. I'm just, as long as I get my fast done, I'm good. Right? That doesn't help anybody, because now you're, you're going to revert back to the same state as before. So be, be realistic about your situation, but still be ambitious. It's, it's a kind of a balancing act. I have to understand what my situation is, what I can realistically do, but I need to be ambitious in the sense that I want this Ramadan to be a, a sense of improvement, a sense of establishing at least one habit that I can carry on. And it doesn't sound like much, but it compounds over time. You know, this is the very, the very famous story of Imam Ahmad and the baker. You know, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal is traveling, and he's looking for a place to stay because now it's nighttime. So he goes to the masjid, and he's going to set up camp and sleep in the masjid, and the caretaker comes, and he's like, you can't sleep here, you gotta get out. He's like, what's the masjid? He's like, no, no, you gotta get out. He's like, okay, fine, I'm gonna sleep in the parking lot then, right? I'm gonna kind of be smart about this. The guy's like, no, 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 you gotta get out of here, you can't sleep in the parking lot. It's like, commotion, commotion ensues. Guy down the street with the bakery store, he overhears this and he comes and he's like, hey, what's going on? Figures out, okay, there's someone who's traveling that needs a place to stay. So he says, all right, come over to my house. So he goes to his house. Now this baker, he's doing basic hospitality. He's laying out the bed, he's making some food for him, making sure he's got what he needs for the night. And Imam Ahmed says that I noticed that the whole time that he's doing all this, he's making istighfar. He's constantly asking Allah for forgiveness. And so he says the next day I asked him that, you know, you're doing your household chores, but the whole time you're making istighfar. You must be doing that because you've seen some benefit. Like something good must have come out of this that you keep on doing it. 
And he said, yes. He goes, in fact, I've noticed that the more istighfar that I do, all my du'as get accepted except for one major du'a. And he's like, well, what's that? He goes, I've been making du'a that I get to meet this great hadith scholar, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal. And Imam Ahmad's like, your du'a was answered even if I had to like, be dragged into your house for it to be answered. Right? But, but it, it showcases the power of something, again, something basic, something simple, something that's within everyone's grasp, but it's executing on it at a very high quality. No matter how busy somebody is. No matter what demands there are on somebody's life. It's that simple, even astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. It's something that's very easy to do. But the rewards and the blessings of it are exponential. Jazakallah khair.